We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, October 17th. You know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool. We bring in James McCool, the co-author, with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. The advanced course, how to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players is out right now. Ten chapters, six hours of audio, as well as all of the wonderfully built-from-scratch tools for Microsoft Excel that James McCool has uh, has uh, has built. Built for us and updated, and I use on a regular, regular basis. I'll be using it for Showdown tonight, right? I use it for my NFL lineups to, to analyze them. And uh, and basketball's coming up. It's going to be useful for that as well, definitely, for basketball. Uh, and then we got the, the YouTube chat people. Feel free to chime in if you want. Good morning. Hit the thumbs up button. You know, it helps us out. Like and subscribe. Wataz, Suki Singh, Defect, Doug Montgomery, Joe Mack, Real Life Pitcher, Daniel Hutchings, Neil Jaworski. Good morning. Good morning, James. Uh, I, I had a losing week. This is the, the week six. I'm four and two as far as winning weeks versus losing weeks. Uh, the fact the fact that in props that I could go 15 and 12 and still make a little money is just ridiculous. I may make a, a couple hundred more. I've I've Russell Wilson over passing props for tonight, so that that's that's my last one. But uh, I, th- I I'm up like I think eighty dollars. Hey. Because some of them are, are worth more than others. Like, so yeah, if you hit the ones that I, that I you know, 2X, 3X on instead of 1X, uh, that, that's how it works out. But uh, DFS-wise, it was people, I said this on the on the Blitz show for, for cash games. This was a very difficult week in cash and pretty easy in GPP. Okay, as far as strategically is concerned. People think the other way, that people think it's like, oh, when we get all this value, it's very easy to make a cash lineup. That's not how you dis- that that's not how you distinguish whether it is easy or hard. Okay? Not on how comfortable it is to make your make your cash lineup. It's more in the fact of how different in projection 
is your cash lineup versus other cash lineups. So on a slate where pricing is tight and it's a very clear construction that you should be doing, and there's like two or three value pieces that are like must-haves and it leads you to everything, you know, it's very clear where you should go, means that the mistakes that you make in that are much more pronounced and you hope that your opponents do so. Mm-hmm. But on a slate where there's multiple paths to a very similarly projected lineup, those are the difficult, those are the higher variance weeks because there's like three or four lineups that it's like, these are so close. You're going to choose one, but the range of outcomes on these lineups are, are still wide. So the difference of two points, four points in actual outcome It'll be the difference of whether you're not you cash in double ups or not. Like, cause because if you're you're on this lineup with like 300 people, and then there's 500 people on another lineup, and there's 200 people on another lineup, it's like, like, dude, th- this is why it's a difficult cash week. It's easy in GPPs because you know exactly where the field is going. Like you, right. like there's so many more pieces that you know what they're gonna do that you could build lineups that project five or six points off of it that are widely different. You can make tons of lineups that have multiple different players, right? I'm not saying you have to fade all the chalk, but it's like, once you know, once you look, I'm looking at the Millie, for instance. Once you know Eno Benjamin is 46% owned, Ramondre Stevenson is 39, Lockett is 30, Diggs is 25, Allen's 24, Walker's 21. Like, it's it's quite easy to say, well, I'm not going to play Allen, Diggs, or Lockett. And I'm only going to play one of Eno and Ramondre. Any lineup you make like that compared to any other lineup you make like that with like one of them or two of them, you could mix in like 50 different players, 60 yeah. different players. You can mix, And they'll all be like five or six points off of that median projection, which means there's so many GPP lineups you can make. Cash lineups, there's like four. And then which which of the four do you get? And I, I managed to, I, my 3v3 was not, didn't, didn't work out. If, if if DK Metcalf would have would have gotten a, a like a touchdown or a couple of more passes, I would have came in here and said, "Oh, I made money in DFS." Great week, yeah. Right. If if Stefan Diggs did not catch, like literally, Stefan Diggs's last catch in the game took away like almost like I was breaking even into that play. I was literally breaking even. One catch for whatever amount of yards, 14 yards, wiped it out. Just because oh, yeah. wiped it out. Because a big, like, 600-person train and a lot of people with the same lineup just like, oh, we're now two points ahead of you now. Yep. Instead of yep. a half a point behind you and, you. and you're done. And that's it. Those are the margins when you have weeks like this. Of Do you play Henderson? Do you play Walker? Like, my 3v3 in cash. I mean, I can show you my lineup. My lineup, I played what ended up being the Blitz Optimal was also the Blended Median Optimal. And it had both Metcalf and Lockett in it with the Carolina defense, Mark Andrews, paying up for Mark Andrews, essentially, mm-hmm. and playing Daryl Henderson. The 3v3 that I considered, it was either, I was either going to play this lineup or I was going to play the lineup that I would have... What It came in at 142, eight points higher, nine points higher. Still with Mark Andrews. But, it, but replacing yeah. Metcalf with Godwin, replacing Henderson with Walker, and then playing the New Orleans defense. Yeah. 
142. And 110 on this lineup. And this is the $25 double up, large double up. And then mine, mine, I, I had like 100 and so people. And then we also saw that this lineup, 135.86, this is the lineup that finished two points ahead of me. 693 with this lineup. Okay. Right. You see, look all the way down here, all the way down here. And this one had a similar lineup, but not, just not with Andrews. And it had paid up for Kamara instead of playing Henderson or Walker, played Diggs, and then went down to Hayden Hurst and played the Jacksonville defense, which only got negative one. But like that one catch in a lot of like my smaller double ups, mm-hmm. that was the, that was the that was the cash line of oh, like, yeah. Yeah. like this cashed and mine didn't, uh, and a lot of, and the people that cashed with this actually didn't get a full cash, and a lot and a lot because it was shared by so many people. I would have gotten a full cash with my lineup because it was shared by a little bit less people. But like that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So when you have these weeks where there's like oh so much value, cash is easy. Like actually that's 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 the time where cash is hard. Yeah. Right, that's the time where the the one v ones are so close that whatever happens happens. I mean, yeah. feel free to play multiple of the lineups if you wanted to do something like that. But that that is the reason I think that people mix it up too much. We're going to get into basketball season. It's going to be the same thing. Seventeen people are out. Cash is easy. It's like no, everyone's sharing the same like five players, six players. Like the last two v two is a difference of point one projection on like six different two v twos. Good luck getting the right one. But, I mean, that game. that's going to happen even without 17 people out because it's NBA right. season. And, like, you're going to have five people every single slate where it's just like, oh, well, Chris Boucher, here he comes. He's 3,600, right. and he's been playing 4,000 minutes, and he's still 3,600 for whatever reason. So, yeah, I, I get it. Um, I, I think that in, in cash – that there were some hard decisions at running back, I think. Whereas wide receiver, I think, was pretty straightforward. Would you agree with that? I, I think that I think running back was where I would have struggled most because you had four that were like Yeah, but you had two that you were playing. Like to me to me, I view I view no, yeah, you, you had you had Ramondre Stevenson that you were playing, you had Eno Benjamin that you were playing, you and were then playing. you had Kenneth Walker or Daryl Henderson right. that you were making a decision on, or you were paying up at either Alvin Kamara. Or who's the other one? I don't think there was anyone else. I wouldn't have paid for anyone else. I think it was either Alvin Kamara or no, it was just Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Alvin Kamara, right. To me, my lineup was preloaded in cash games with Allen Stevenson, Benjamin, Rondell Moore, and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, that and that would have been that was the core that I put together as well as Mark Andrews. And then yeah, to me, Mark to me, that Mark Andrews came preloaded in, but I could understand. You know, playing Hurst, playing Higby, playing someone like that. But Ooh, actually, I might have said Higby. Yeah, I, th- I think I said Higby. But Mark Andrews' target share with Bateman gone at oh, seven thousand. If he was a wide receiver, I would have played him. So like he's yeah. at the tight end spot. So like just fit him in right there. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. absolutely. Yeah, so I, that, I, so I. To me, it's a three. It's a it's a three v three, and my three v three was Metcalf, <laughs> right? Metcalf Henderson. Carolina versus Godwin Walker Saints. And I showed and I they both project they both projected within a point of each other. Yeah, so they like, were they were fine. They I were fine. Right. Like like, but that's what I mean by cash is tough in those weeks because it's because that's gonna determine your outcome and the field isn't gonna make as many mistakes as you have on other weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, also, just that. to answer Trevor Lewis in the in the chat. 
The advanced players course and the regular fundamentals masterclass are two separate classes, right? The first one, the first one is a 15 hour audio course. The second one is an, the advanced players course plus the tools. Yeah. I, I think that, um, cash cash was kind of difficult this week. Um, GPPs. So, so Justin, Justin Freeman on Twitter put up a poll asking if people thought that the chalk hit. And I tend to say that it did, but I, I was interested to hear your thoughts on that because no, NL Benjamin failed and Tyler Lockett failed. But outside of that, like the scores were pretty good for most of the high owned players. Not necessarily. You, The better way to put it is you didn't need the chalk. Right. And I was getting to that, but I wanted to hear if you thought, because there's a difference between the chalk hit and you needed the chalk. Right. I think the well, chalk that's hit. Why, well, that's why to my, to my brain in GPP, I look at this and I go, the chalk didn't hit. Sure. And, like, and if you I don't need that. the chalk, then it doesn't, then to me, the chalk didn't chalk. Like Ramondre Stevenson could be in a winning lineup, but you didn't need Ramondre Stevenson. Even with 25 points, you could have gotten, you could have gotten points elsewhere. Like you didn't even need dig. There's there's no one on this. Sl- I mean, no one that was owned that you needed. Who did you need? Did you need Mark Andrews? You didn't even need Mark. I mean, truthfully, you didn't even need him in certain constructions. Sure, not you're jamming, you got thirty points out of three wide receiver spots. So, like, is there anyone that you needed? I don't see anyone that you needed. No. And I see people that you definitely didn't need. You know, forty six percent owned. You didn't. I uh, didn't need. Yeah. Lockett definitely not. Mike Evans, the good you didn't need Godwin 15. You didn't, I mean, I don't see anyone that you needed. You didn't need Josh Allen. Burrow stacks were better. Yep. You I and I agree with you could have got played Chase. I mean, like that there's to me, you, this this was not a this was not a chalky week. And my my strategy of, of how I played, I wouldn't have altered. I I played the the two late games, the mm-hmm. two chalky late games as a five man. Yeah. And then remote, like I, I didn't play Tyler Lockett as a one-off. I didn't play Rondell Moore as a one-off. I didn't play Stefan Diggs as a one-off. Like either they were Stefan Diggs were in lineups that had four other players from the game. Like I wasn't even doing three plus ones. I was doing three plus twos. I, I talked about that in my main event breakdown. I, the, the pricing. So with the Geno Smith week where I just got slapped around, uh, we talked on this show about how on that week, the prices were so low that it made sense not to have them as one-offs because like if, if they, if the more of the field is going to be using them as one-offs. So it gave you more upside and win equity to have it as like a full game stack of five man or six man. And that's what I ended up with. Then this week I talked about how on uh, with Kansas city and Buffalo, I thought that they were so expensive that the only way that they were really, really going to get there is if that game went completely off. And if that game goes completely off, you're going to need five or six. Like if that game hit the, the game total of 54 um, and, and it hit 44, right? So if, if that game hit the game total of 54, they were priced appropriately and probably were not going to win you GBPs, even if they were highly owned. But if it goes for 70, if it goes for 75, like you're gonna need a full game stack, and, and you like you're gonna need it as it. If you played Allen, Diggs, Knox, Juju as a three plus one, 
That was that was one of that was one of if not the best three plus one score for dollar wise there was. Yeah, it, it was good, but I, I, I'm talking. Good. But before yeah, but I mean, played, but like in your case, imagine if they scored another two touchdowns. Right. The win, the winning lineup could have been then. Then you have Allen plus Diggs plus Knox plus Juju plus MVS. Then you have right. You also have Allen plus Diggs plus Kelsey plus Juju plus Singletary plus you right. know like then you get the five mans in there and then you find the value well and then you have all these cheap running backs that I could throw in Deion Jackson. I could throw in uh, Daryl Henderson. I could throw in a cheap defense. A cheap, a, a cheap wide receiver, and there you go. Then I'm, I, I win. Yeah, but and that's that's my point. Is like before the slate, because remember, this, I'm talking about what I was thinking before the slate. That the pricing was so high on that game that the way that that game absolutely killed you was with it was if it went completely off, and there there was enough value to be able to fit a game stack there of five players, six players, if you needed the value to do it. So I that's how I looked at it this week. I did have Stefan Diggs as a one-off um, in a Kyler Murray stack because I was fading Enel Benjamin in that one. I don't mind eating Stefan Diggs chalk in a lineup yeah, where I have I, that. I, I question that because if you want that game to go off and not the other one, why would you take a piece of the other game? You're going to uh, lose to an Allen lineup. Well, no, no, no. It's because I had, I had Stefan Diggs projected as one of the highest overall players on the slate. So fitting him in there, like when I ran through my optimizations, when I ran through all of my projections and everything like that, it was just turning out that way. Like yeah, I, 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 I'm fine. I would have said I would have not waived that. No, I, I was fine eating stuff on Dick's chalk on that. I, I don't mind because if if Eno Benjamin, Eno Benjamin ended up being 65% owned in the 150, like 65. So if the Arizona stack does what I want it to do. And I end up getting the points with the Arizona stack rather than the 65% on Benjamin. Why do I need to fade the Stefan Diggs shock? There, there's no reason for me to, especially when I have him as the highest projected position player. But the on only the reason is because you're amount. primarily competing against Josh Allen lineups that you want to beat. Sure, but the Josh Allen lineups were highly correlated with the Eno Benjamin. So if Eno Benjamin highly correlated with Stefan Diggs, obviously. Right, but if Eno Benjamin fails, then and I fade him, and I have a higher leg up on. Oh, okay, you were fade. Okay, okay, now, now, okay, now I understand. Okay, yeah. now I get it. Okay. Yeah, I'm directly leveraging Eno Benjamin, which in turn is indirectly leveraging against the Josh Allen stacks because they needed Eno Benjamin to work out. So if if the Arizona stack, if the passing game ends up getting all the points and Eno Benjamin fails. Then, then you're, you're at the Allen Diggs lineups have Eno Benjamin's right exactly. Okay, so I don't now, mind. Okay, I, I wasn't aware that you didn't have Eno in the lineup. I was yeah, no, no, no. It was Ky it was Kyler Murray with Rondell Moore and Zach Ertz, and then I had for my running backs Daryl Daryl Henderson Jr. and Monday Stevenson, and then I had Stefan Diggs in that lineup as well. Um, and then I had okay, I see right here. Is this the one with the? Yeah, this is the yeah. one with Duvernay and Metcalf and yeah. Daryl Henderson, the Pittsburgh defense. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mind eating Stefan Diggs chalk in that lineup. And, and it's a pretty chalky lineup, but because I am leveraging so much of the other chalk, like, I don't care. It, it and you're leveraging off of the Duvernay is leverage off of Andrews. Exactly. Metcalf is leverage off a of locket. I, I mean, yeah, it, it yeah, you're right. It does make sense. Yeah. My bet, my bet, my best lineup was uh, the power sweep was a uh, uh, Burrow, Burrow, yeah. one. Burrow, Chase, Hurst, Kamara. Mm hmm. And then I played uh, Deion Jackson. Mm -hmm. Mike Evans is a one-off. I didn't expect him to be 20% owned. Uh, Alec Pierce instead of Rondell Moore. Sure. 
Devin Singletary has leverage off of the, yeah. at, uh, the, the Buffalo game and then also Kenneth Walker or whatever would be. But you look at this lineup, it's like, oh, here's a lineup that has none of the Arizona-Seattle game. Like, like mm-hmm. I was like, either I play a ton or I don't. Like, sure. So it's like, here's the lineup that the Arizona-Seattle game fails and the Bills, the Bills-Chiefs game fails, I guess, but Singletary does well. Yeah. On the ground because he's only seven percent off. Yeah, and whatever the defense is, I don't care. And also Jackson and Pierce, I I I do not mind playing these wide receiver, uh, running back, wide receiver combinations when the when the combined price is like under like eleven thousand. Yeah, I I, I didn't. <laughs> I had a side bet of Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay on who would get more receptions, and that was just dead at halftime. Like Deion Jackson was everything for them. Uh, Matt Ryan ends up throwing for like 389 yards on 54 attempts or something. It's the most vintage Matt Ryan game that I've seen in my life. Yeah, but his average, um, average, average, his average pass was still only like seven yards. Yeah, it was like 6.3 or something like that. It was gross. Like the pass chart is so gross on that game. Um, but well, that's yeah, why so the defect in chat is like, why was why wasn't Deion Jackson projected higher? Because you couldn't you couldn't give him the share that he was he got. You want me to project him for seven receptions in the first half? I mean, I, yeah, well, I you, want to, you want to project him for 70 plus percent of the snaps and 20, what, what, 28 percent of the targets? Yeah, something gross. I, there, basically, there's basically, basically, if if you if you had to project in, in order, Deion Jackson's role that it turned out in that game was Christian McCaffrey's right. role. Right. Right. Like, so like you basically have to say, OK, normalize everything for Indianapolis's uh, team total and their rush uh, pass mix and how many plays, and then put Christian McCaffrey on the team and then say that he's 45200. Like, if that was the case, Deion Jackson would have been projected higher than Eno. Like, Deion Jackson would have been the with the with the lock, would, would, would have projected as much as a lock, but like, it would have, I would have probably played him in every single lineup. I yeah. Had. Yeah. At, at 5200, I, and, and so. The reason why he wasn't projected higher specifically from a modeling standpoint, um, when you look at what the Colts are as an offense and especially are as an offense without Jonathan Taylor, like they do not use or have not used just one running back in the past. Like they they have been very much running back by committee if they don't have Jonathan Taylor. Um, and Philip Lindsay split the work almost completely in half with Deion Jackson the week before. So if you're going to be projecting these guys out, one – the Colts were more pass heavy without Jonathan Taylor. So that had to be accounted for. So there's going to be less rushing attempts to go around. Um, both of them ended up getting Philip Lindsay and Deion Jackson ended up getting around 10 to 12% of the target share in models because they got 10% the week before. So you're not going to make an assumption that one of them is now going to have a 30% market share of the targets on a team. Right. So like, and, and Indianapolis, was a team that just did not have a high team total, so there's not a lot. Of- know, it was the team total. The game total was forty and a half, and then yeah, the Colts had a twenty-one implied team total. So if you're going to be building top down and say, okay, well, the the team total here for them is something like twenty-one real life points, so that's like three touchdowns. Um, they're going to run the ball twenty-four times or something like that. They're going to pass the ball maybe thirty times. And, and remember, these are these are baselines based top down. So this before the game, no way to assume that Matt Ryan is going to throw the ball fifty four times. Right. Um, there's just not going to be a good projection on that. Even no, 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 he's going to project like Deion Jackson projected well. 
He projected not like sl- not sl- like I had in my aggregate. I had him at uh, I don't know what you had. I I, I have thirteen point oh five as a as a mean. I think I had him like ten or eleven. Okay, so I mean, but still, if lower. you take a look at fifty two hundred, like he's not as good. He's not up there with Walker or Benjamin or Stevenson, mm-hmm. but like. It's not like he was bad. I mean, I played a bunch of them. I mean, it's not like he was bad, but I mean, from a from a salary adjusted plus minus, he was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, which still puts him in play. Like that, that, that he makes my pool at that point at at his price. So it's like it's not like he projected poorly, but you mm-hmm. you you project him for. I mean, dude, if you if you gave him seventy percent share and a twenty plus percent target share. His mean would have been like 22, 23 points. Mm-hmm. He would have projected as he would have projected higher than Ramondre easily. He would have projected over Kamara. I mean, like we would have been jamming him in like there's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you but t- tell me tell me how you could reasonably do that? I, he was in the neighborhood of Stevenson's game situation. He absolutely was not, not even close. Right, but I'm saying, Not but how could you re? How could you reasonably re- do that and just say, well, it's just the Deion Jackson game. The culture just gonna, and they're gonna throw the ball 57 times. The 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 projection for Ramondre Stevenson was 65 to 70 percent of the rushing share, and like 15 percent of the target share. And and New England and you probably had New England for like 32 rush attempts. And right, and New England is much much rush heavy. So if if I'm looking at this, I have my models pulled up here. I had New England projected for 1.32 rushing touchdowns and 28 rushing attempts. All right. I had the Colts projected for 0.64 rushing touchdowns. So half of New England and 22 rushing attempts. So six less. And Deion Jackson was supposed to be splitting work with Philip Lindsay. Now, if you wanted to say, even if you wanted to say that it was the same situation as Ramondre Stevenson, because there are six less rushing attempts and half as many expected rushing touchdowns, there's no there's no way you're going to do a projection that that is really really good for Deion Jackson. Just no way. And you know Benjamin's projection is primarily a, a lot of it attributed to pass like, um, pass catching as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that and, and I mean Eno Benjamin, Eno Benjamin projected for. 15.77, right? So I, I had the aggregate atom at 16.95. Yeah. So, and that was based on a couple of things. Like the, the biggest thing. So, Arizona, we're looking at this. They were projected for 24 rushing attempts, 1.76 passing touchdowns, and 1.18 rushing touchdowns. So, because they had a team total of 26.25, remember, like the, we're going top down here. 26.25 versus 22.75 or 21.25 for Indianapolis. It's five more real life points to be distributed. These running backs. Um, it, ju- it just was never a situation where you were going to get Deion Jackson to project even like a projection of 13, I think was more than I would have been comfortable with. And I understand that the industry was higher on Deion Jackson than I was. Cause I split him and Lindsay pretty evenly. But to have him over Brees Hall, Eno Benjamin, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker, Travis Etienne. I had Travis Etienne projected higher than he did. Um, I, I just, I wouldn't have gotten there. 
I, I, no, well, no, but I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's why I have industry aggregate projections. Like, not, it's not like, oh, someone, oh, one place got it wrong and everyone else got it right. Like, no, it's not like he was like mega owned or anything. Right, like right. I mean, like, like, no, it had, had, those are high variance situations. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what do I like to do for GPPs? Leverage. Attack high variance situations, yeah. either by, on, like, I had much less of Stevenson, I had much less of Walker. I had much less of Henderson. If you, I mean, I'd, my, what, I should have my my exposures of my 75 lineups that I played in large field. Let's see. I'll switch over. My running back exposure in large field with my 75 lineups, I had 51% Benjamin, right? Because it's price. Why Why wouldn't I? I didn't yeah. mind. Hardly 35%. I, I tried to play the higher price running backs. I had 35% Fournette. 25% Kamara. I still had 23% Stevenson, but I had 17% Deion Jackson. Then I had Barkley, Mixon. I had 12% Walker. I only had 7% Henderson, but I mean, like I had Raheem Mostert there, Singletary, AJ Dillon, Brees Hall, some Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, one Aaron Jones lineup sitting there. Mm-hmm. So it's like out of, out of all the chalk running backs, I was... I had no problem playing Benjamin. Even I mean, you could. That's why he was so owned. Take a look at other sharp players' portfolio mm-hmm. of lineups. You're much more likely to see Benjamin above the field, even at his ownership, than anyone else. And the next would be Stevenson. If anything, you'll Walker and Henderson were the two that less likely to play. And I'm assuming that you get Kamara's most sharp players were over the field on Kamara, especially um... once. Once they rule out like all of their receivers, yeah, I, I had Kamara for like a twenty-three percent target share or something. I, I, like, I I thought that Ramondre Stevenson was by far the best chalk on the slate. Um, he was lucky. But, truthfully, he was lucky to get there. It, yeah, yeah, he was I mean, lucky and unlucky at the same time. Basically, the Patriots basically rolled over the Browns, mm-hmm. and like in the second half, like. Pierre Strong was running the ball. I mean, they were yeah. they were up by two plus touchdowns, so they really didn't even use Stevenson. And then he got a mix in at the end and scored another touchdown. Yeah, but like he yeah. only got like he only got nineteen. What he got nineteen carries and three catches. Yeah, that, but I mean that's basically what I project. I mean that's basically his his mean projection. But I'm yeah. saying if the game was closer, like he dude, he, he would have destroyed. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that the game was a little bit out of hand means that. He was lucky to get that last touchdown. I really wanted to work in more Christian McCaffrey, but I ended up not doing it. I, I had I was watching that game at, at, on Red Zone, and literally anytime they turned over the Panthers, it's like, like, is there anyone else on this team other than Christian McCaffrey? Like just be. like just rushing cat. Well, that's the the thing is, is that's that's what they should have always been right. doing. And then when you have PJ Walker at quarterback who really can't do anything. Why they'd like? Oh well, why not do this? I, I almost feel like the Panthers f- felt as if Baker Mayfield was much better than he actually is, and it's like no, no. Baker Mayfield should be is is you should be protecting ba- uh, your quarterback play by swing passing out to Christian McCaffrey and giving your best player the ball. Yeah, it's it just a. I mean, we can we can talk about how wrong coaches are about this situation till the sun goes down. Uh, how does Cliff? How does Cliff not score a touchdown against the Seahawks defense? I I don't I don't know I I don't know that there were there were a lot of situations I ran super bad 
on touchdowns for my QB yesterday. I tweeted out a concept of my QBs actually throwing touchdown passes. I had a Tom Brady stack. I had a Lamar Jackson stack. And I had a Kyler Murray stack. And like the first half for all three of them were like 0 for 13 in red zone trips. And drop passes. Andrews had a drop in the end zone in the beginning. And then Brett uh, Brady, I mean, like the, the steal, look, the Steelers were putting out a defense that is of like practice squad players. And apparently, apparently, apparently didn't matter. I mean, they, they didn't do badly. No, but, but I mean, like when you, I don't know, I, I, I think for, for GPPs, I think that yesterday was a, it, it was the weirdest out. It's the outcome that I hate the most where the chalk is not what wins you GPPs, but the good pivots off of the chalk are also what do not win you GPPs. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my least favorite week because it's like, yeah, man, I faded like the thirty-seven percent of the field. I, you know, they paid all the rake and like I, I put myself in good position. They end up leveraging things effectively. Like if you look at my lineups, there's so much thought put into those lineups about how they get there when the chalk fails, and then the chalk fails, and so do my lineups. Because <laughs> right, like... look at the look at the Millie winning lineup, which won the Millie by almost ten points, mm-hmm. literally void of chalk. I know, like literally, like you didn't need like people are like oh I got twenty five out of Stevenson, didn't need it. Oh I got uh, thirty three out of Diggs, you didn't need like you didn't. No one, you didn't need them. You could have had them, but you didn't need them. So look at this lineup. You have Burrow to Chase with Kamara. Okay, that's fine. Then you got Deion Jackson. So like the Stevenson's not in this lineup. Benjamin's not in the lineup. Henderson's not in the lineup. Walker's not in the lineup. Like none of none of the four value plays. I know. You didn't need. I know. As long as you had Ayuk, Juju. Robert Tanyan at, at tight end for 19, because Andrew's got 26, but it didn't pull him away that far amongst everything. So and Arizona, and you play you play the 0.6% on defense that everyone's playing the Seahawks against or the Arizona. I mean, like you take a look at this lineup and you go, this is a lineup that the reason why it wins by so many points is because like you have so many differentiated players that is just mm-hmm. not the chalk. Yep. Now, could he have replaced this guy could have replaced Kamara with uh, with Stevenson. Could have replaced Waddle with anyone practically. I mean, twenty <laughs> point. I mean, with like, dude, you could have you could have easily you could have gone from Tanyan up to Andrews, Waddle down to Traquan Smith, and Kamara to Stevenson, and, and would have gotten a higher score. 20, yeah, he wins this by twenty five points. Right, and that's yeah. playing even chalky. You're pl- like like, dude, your ownership even goes up for that. Yeah. So like, it's not a matter of when people look like don't judge like the winning lineup only because it's like oh look he faded everything that that means I need to fade everything it's like no he didn't need the the he just happened to find guys that are that are all like twenty five like like that's why when 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 people like you have to think in for GPPs you have to think in these terms mm-hmm. and I'm 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 quoting JM to win because he he put I think he puts it the simplest so it's not like math oriented. Is that there's a different and, and this is what it's what we say the difference between mean or median projections and 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 optimal percentages or GPP winning percentages 
is that is the player, what's the likelihood of the player having a score that you need to have, right? It's not a matter of how, will they, will they make value, right? Do you need to have them? If I would have told you before the slate that Ramondre Stevenson got 25 points, James, what would you what would you have done? Would you have been inclined to play more of him at forty percent ownership or less of him? I probably would have stayed at forty five. I probably would. Have I, stayed I would have. I would have. I would have taken the twenty five. But the thing is, is that the reason why you pause for a second is that twenty five points is a lot. That's of pretty points, good. Yeah, is a lot good. of points, but it's still, it's for this slate. It was you didn't even need to have that. Right, you didn't. If I what, James? If I would have told you Deion Jackson, fifty-two hundred scored twenty-eight points, I'm yeah, locking him into all my lineups. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. At his own, at five percent, six percent ownership. I mean, then I'm locking into all the like that was a need to have score. Now, what are the yeah. chances that you that you needed to have Deion Jackson? Small percentage, but is it worth the five percent ownership? Okay, that's what you're deciding on. So when when you're when you're viewing your lineups and building lineups. It's not the medians for GPPs. Stop getting, don't worry about, well, Diggs gives me 23 points. Like, no, that's not good enough. Like, like, uh, or, or thinking the opposite way. A lot of people think that the loss aversion, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a FOMO loss aversion type of thing where, oh my God, uh, I'm going to fade Tyler Lockett, Right. It's like I'm gonna fade Tyler Lockett and like, well, what if, what if he what what if he what if he puts up 24 points? I go, you still do you need him? Mm-hmm. You may still not need him. So if you're like p- people are scared of the medians, they go, well, if Lockett has a good game, it's like okay, come up with a good game, come up with a an, a good enough game for him that you would be decently happy enough with the score. Okay, let's just say seven for a hundred with a touchdown. Let's, okay, you'd be happy with Lock at seven for a hundred with a touchdown. Yeah. You're talking about what? Twenty six points. Yep. It's like, is there are there other players on this slate at wide receiver that have the ability to put up twenty six points, even in his price range? Do you think Chris Godwin could do it? Yeah. Do you think Christian Kirk could do it? Do you think Brandon Ayuk could do it? Do you think like go through all of them and go? Did, would you be shocked if some one of these high 5K, low 6K guys, right? Jalen Waddle, if I told you he had 26 points, are you like, oh my God, couldn't have possibly seen that coming no matter what the matchup? No, you could probably list a good eight or nine mm-hmm. that could get 26 points. So it, though, if you think in those terms, if I would have told you that Locke could put up 26 points, it's like, that may still not be needed. So what are you really afraid of? Yeah, if Lockett puts up 40, you're going to need him. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. So, but think in those terms of how many, what what are the points that he needs that I'm going to be buried? And then if you're like not scared of that, like what will he need to happen? It's like, oh, Lockett's going to need like eight for 135 and two touchdowns. Well, is that a normal result? Like, no, that's a, that's a ceiling result. So if that's what you're scared of. Find other players that could do that. So worst case scenario, he puts up 26 and you find someone else that puts up 26, right? At lower ownership. And it doesn't matter at that point what the ownership is. So like, like this, 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 this obsession with like means 
right? It's like, oh my God, I can't, I, you know, oh, Stevenson put up the Stevenson got there. No, he didn't. He didn't get there. You didn't need him. Stevenson putting up 35. You're probably going to need him. You're probably going to need him, right? So when people are, are talking about, oh, I can't believe you're fading this guy. Dude, you could fade. Pr- there's practically every, I mean, there's, there's almost no lock buttons on high variance sports on, on the slate. Basketball, that, that's a different story because there is much less variance in basketball. But like, dude, like that's why I, with people playing the cheap running backs, I'm like, Leonard Fournette, would you be shocked if in a game where the Buccaneers are favored by 10 points, if Leonard Fournette had 100 y- 130 scrimmage yards and three touchdowns? No, and he's sitting there with 34 to 38 points. Like, dude, that beats out like Diggs and that beats out Diggs and Chase and like these high priced wide receivers. Happened last week. Right? If Joe Mixon, if you told me Joe Mixon touched the ball 32 times in this game, has has four receptions, has three touch, two on the ground, one in the air, like you are you shocked? Mm-hmm. And he's and he's sitting there like like no ownership. I I I will say I am shocked at the Deion Jackson outcome. But I understand that his upside was similar to Daryl Henderson and right. to Kenneth Walker. For the Walker, price. If Deion Jackson was 8000 on the slate, like Jonathan Taylor, obviously <laughs> you know, obviously I wouldn't play him. Right, of course. But that's the, but that's what the thing I'm talking about even with like the wide, with the wide receivers. It's like are you would you be shocked if if Marquise Brown outscored Stefan Diggs? No. If, if, would you be, I'd be a little shocked if he outscored Stefan Dix on any given slate. Like I, I played a bunch of Romeo Dobbs mm-hmm. uh, on DraftKings. He was more popular on FanDuel. But like Romeo Dobbs, those four K receivers, it's like, dude, Rondell Moore. Like, why can't they play Alec Pierce? Why can't they play Romeo Dobbs? Why can't yeah. they play Traquan Smith? For for wide receivers in that range, let's see. I played Darius Slayton. I played George Pickens. I played some Claypool who got there. I think you could have played in that range. Corey Davis, Romeo Dobbs, Devin DuVernay, George Pickens, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Chase Claypool, Alec Pierce, Rondell Moore, Zay Jones, <laughs> Ben right. Swanrick. You can play Take ben a look Farmer. at that list. Take a, take a look at that list, and I'm going to go back to the million. Yeah. It's the most casual contest, right, that, that, that people would play. Right, and I take a look at Rondell Moore's seventeen percent owned. Mm-hmm. You just listed off at least eight guys <laughs> in the same price range. That, like, if they if they if they outscored Rondell Moore, are you like like, oh my god, I can't believe Rondell Moore got ten while that guy got fourteen. Yeah, like no. Yeah, we saw Devin Duvernay score what like sixteen his last start without yeah right. It's, it's silly. But like people are scared of like, well, what do you what is Rondell Moore's ceiling? The dude catches three yard passes. <laughs> right? He needs to take it to the house or something. So like, like, yeah, he could get seven catches. He could he could have a line of seven for 50. And a touchdown. And a touchdown. 12 yeah. points plus that's 18, right? Yeah. That seems like like if you I'd be happy with that, right? Yeah, that's reasonable. I can deal right? with that. That's 18 mm-hmm. points. Like, dude, do you need 18? I mean. You just listed off guys that they could easily get 18 points in the in a similar way. Claypool could get there on one pass. And Some he did. of these guys could get there on one on one literally yeah. one catch. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had, I, I mean, if we even consider ceilings, like from, we'll, we'll go from the bottom up. Traquan Smith, ceiling of 24. Darius Slayton, 21. Ben Squanerick, 20. Rondell Moore, 25. Alec Pierce, 24. George Pickens, 24. Devin Duvernay, 28. Marcus Wallace-Scantling, 24. Like, and half of those guys that I just mentioned were like 2% out. They all right, have if, go, if I go by position, like let, let's go down that list for for the, I could go by salary, okay. So in the Rondell Moore, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like 4,800 and below. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Corey Davis was 0.8 percent off. <laughs> okay, he didn't project that well. So let's just say Romeo Dobbs was seven percent owned. Mm-hmm. Duvernay was ten. Pickens was nine. MVS was ten. Claypool was 0.8. Devontae Parker. 0.4. He's that type of receiver, right? Yep. Russell Gage for 1.8. Uh, Alec oh. Pierce was 6%. Zay Jones yep. was 2.8. Uh, and, and we Zay get Rob, Robbie Zay Anderson, Jones. who's probably not in the league anymore. Skronik was 1%. Zacchaeus? You could have played Zacchaeus for crying out. <laughs> 0.4%. Hardman was 2.4%. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 1.5%. Marcus Callaway, 2.6%. Darius Slayton, 7%. Traquan, 3%. Like, I'm naming all these pl- these guys. Like, Rondell Moore, 17% owned. And and all, all this is, just like, imagine the Spider-Man meme with, like, 14 guys pointing at each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same play. Well, but this is but this is the main reason that I only played Rondell Moore in Kyler Murray or Geno Smith five man stack GPP lineups. It's like there seems no reason why if Rondell Moore has a big game, most likely multiple players in that game have a big game. And if I'm gonna why play him as a one off when we just listed like ten guys that have a, are are projected mean wise of two points. Okay, you go, oh, that two points is a lot. Not for those guys. Two points is a 10-yard catch, people. It's one 10-yard catch. That's the difference. One 10-yard catch is two points. If it's one one point, I mean, you're talking about a a no yard, like a a, a screen and a fall down. (laughs) Like like you're talking about a one play difference in, in mean. So, like, don't look at these guys like, yeah, cash games jam in the highest mean because you don't get any reward for anything past there anyway. But for GPP, like this is this is the reason when I said I'm not going to play Rondell Moore as a one-off. I'm not going to play Tyler Lockett as a one-off. That's the reasoning behind it because I take a look. Let's go to let's go to Lockett's. Let's go to like the sixty-two hundred to whatever range. Jalen Waddle three percent owned. Alan Lazard four percent owned. Thielen three percent owned. Amari Cooper five percent owned. Kirk four percent owned. Deontay Johnson, 3% owned. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, 2% owned. Drake London was 2% owned. Jacoby Myers was 4% owned. Juju was 4% owned. Like, Lockett, 30% owned. I mean, yeah, play him in a game stack, but, like, why wouldn't I just, okay, well, I got 5,600 here. I got I got 5,700 here, 5,800. I'll play Christian mm-hmm. Kirk then. There's a one I mean, like, that, it's it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm, galaxy braining it's like this the, that's the reason because in a vacuum if you have one spot left because remember in a vacuum means that you got one spot left in your lineup mm-hmm. and he's not correlated to anyone so like that's the most in the vacuum situation you're going to be 
So why the hell would I want to play a 30% owned guy when, yes, he projects for two or three points higher mean than these guys, but that doesn't mean that he has a 10 times more likelihood of beating some of these other people from a ceiling perspective. So like, I will I will also just say as well that contest size is going to influence this decision, for me at least. Like a smaller contest, a 100-man contest, I'm probably going to play Tyler Lockett if I can eat that ownership. Right. If you, can, if you can't, you shouldn't be. Right. Exactly. That. Well, that. That's the point. Like, Tyler Lockett, I think, was fine at thirty percent ownership as a one-off. If you had enough relative value around him, I. I know. I know, but, but it's tough. But that's why I don't want to do that. It's like, I, I don't know. Want to... I know. But it's something I. I just want to make that point that it, it is okay to do that if you have enough relative value in your lineup already for the contest. It's all in. It's all in in context. Right, and and in large field, you're almost always going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the smaller contest, I get it. But like, as a one, like, that's why I said, when I'm building these 75 lineups, I'm building for milli size contests, large field contests. So it's like, right. dude, I'll just make that group easily. I have no problem. Like if, if Lockett beats me, he's going to beat me. And I'm going to, I'm going to have five guys from the game anyway. So like, that's fine. Like, that's why, like watching that game, that Seattle, Arizona game, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, so the game, the game's failing. Mm-hmm. Well, good thing that, my bet my lineups that have that game are all the way in the bot in last place. Yeah. And they're not infecting the lineups that are, are doing well. Or I mean like infecting the lineups. Well, that's no, that's what I call it. In fact, I mean, I do, I do the same thing in baseball. Yeah. Right. I don't want, I don't want to have, I don't want to have, you know, in, infections all over and all, all and all over the place. Like in baseball, like the, the rain out, but like if a game is, is, is questionable to be played only in stacks. So if the, if the game does get rained out, PPD'd or something, yeah, my five-man stack lineup is dead. It's in last place. Great. No problem. Yeah. But I don't have one offset that'll have a zero in the rest of my lineups also. So it's yeah. like, yes, separate them yeah. out. So that's, that's what, that is what I did. Trevor Lewis asked in lineup HQ, should we be building lineups based on seal and transfer and fantasy points? No. They're all related to each other. Said, here, here, let, let me, I'll, I'll say it as nicely as possible. Okay. And I'm telling, I'm, I'm only saying this to help you. I'm not saying this to be condescending or anything like that. Okay, really, really put it as a post-it note. I would highly suggest you putting this as a post-it note. Everyone that's listening, to put it as a post-it note. Let, let me get a post-it note. Hold on. Okay. Um, because it will help so much. It, it will. This this will help you so much. I don't. I don't have okay? a post-it. Okay. Here's the post-it note. Anytime that you have a question. Anytime you're even pondering a question to ask yourself to look up to whatever, if you can answer the question with a yes or a no, or you can answer the question with an exact number, that means you're, that means the question that it's a bad question, right? Cause you're trying to find some magic answer. Anything that if you could say yes or a no, or an exact number, that means there's, that means there's a magic answer. There is no magic answer, right? You could deter, you could, there are ways to determine a range of what possibly those answers could be. And most of them, to get them precise, would involve you building, building a supercomputer, right? Obviously not a supercomputer, but I'm saying it this way, because it's like, do you have the capability and the skill to build full-scale play-by-play 
NFL simulations as well as contest simulations as of, of every contest and also every every time you run the milli 221,921 entries you have to run it with and re- while replacing each and every lineup that you run through it right cuz you don't even have those lineups beforehand so now you have to recreate them how do you recreate them well you need ownership projections but the ownership projection there's a margin of error there so you you need to develop your own ownership projections but you can only do that if you build your own ownership player the player model so yeah you can figure out an exact answer the answer is going to be 8.2 once you run everything through all all of that with a margin of error of 17 trillion <laughs> um, okay like the, like dude if you're off by one percentage point on someone's ownership that just cascades across everything mm-hmm. right it just it literally like let's look at showdown yesterday with you i saw your tweet oh what what's your off especially in showdown like dude if you're if you're off by any meaningful extent and i'm not talking about even you may think it's not meaningful but dude if you have a player um, let, let this this is how thin the margin is if you have a player projected for three percent ownership in showdown and he comes in at five and a half percent you're screwed okay yeah i i have an actual a perfect example for this and a okay. real life example for this so um on thursday night football for uh washington versus the bears right okay. um Wonderful i game, had, oh just beautiful beautiful, beautiful stuff um so I had, I was running through all my process, running my op- optimizations, because what Blender just described, I actually do. I run my projections, and then I simulate the contests, and then I see what the optimal rate for people is. And I write an article on it, right? So, like, I just go free. through it's and free, it's free. Right? It's over on paterdfs.com. Like, I write a showdown season article every single every single showdown. Anyway, um, and I was running through, and I it was a super chalky slate uh, in terms of when I ran through my process, I had a lot of highly duplicated lineups that were high in win equity. So I was trying to come to cull down and, and try to get things to where I had a lot of under twenties. I was okay with, okay, this lineup has like 4.6% win equity. It's going to be duped 60 mm-hmm. times, whatever. I like, I'll eat that one. Fine, whatever. But trying to get them lower, trying to get them lower. And I come to this point where, I'm getting a lot of Cole Turner. Now, Cole Turner was the third string tight end behind Logan Thomas. And uh, I don't remember who the guy above him. John Bates. Thank you, John Bates. So I I had him projected for like 4% ownership, right? And this was with Enkil Harry in. And I had, at this point, with my spread, I had 50% of Cole Turner. And I'm fine with that in this situation because showdown is crazy. Um. But I, I had him in about 50% of my lineups, and I had a spread of 72% under 20. That means that 72% of my portfolio was under 20 projected duplications, all right? At 4% projected ownership. And then Enkil Harry is inactive. He's the only other $200 player. And so now I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh, no. Got to throw him out now. Well, I... What, was, so what, did, what did Cole Turner's actual ownership? End here's, here's where the example comes in, right? So I had him projected for like three to 4% ownership and my spread was 72% under 20 predicted. All right. I pushed him up to what I thought would be his ownership around 10 to 12. 
and it dropped my under 20 percentage to 23%. Right. <laughs> Just murders my portfolio. And so I, I even messaged Brian Jester on Twitter. And I was like, bro, I need like some logic here. I, I need to know what you think Cole Turner's ownership is going to be. Because if he ends up 10%, I'm I'm screwed. Like my my entire portfolio is shot. My equity is shot. Right. Um, when we came to like 6%, he ended up being 7% owned. So I was okay. But like that 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 difference from 4% to 12% completely shot my portfolio like completely destroyed it and you'll see but you'll also see that in the high range as well of like like dude the difference i i like on showdowns playing under on quarterbacks yeah right so sometimes there are some slates that the underdog especially when they're under 10k where the the underdog quarterback is like an 8800 quarterback and he print like ownership projections have him at 40 48 owned in the flex and like 8% in the, in the, in the captain. And then you know, the cards turn over and he's 2% in the captain and 32% in the flex. And I'm sitting there going, I wish I would have played a ton more yeah. of this. Like, like, and that now, now your lineups that have those that you thought would be duplicated like four times are now like almost unique. Yeah. And the ones, but then now you have the rest of your portfolio is way over owned. Like, like the dramatic because in Showdown there's only so many players, but that happens on on the classic slates as well. Like you can't come up with any type of magic answer without doing it precisely. Like you have to have a precise. We talk about in theory of DFS, DFS.com. We talk about blunt methodologies versus precise methodologies. And there's not one, it's not one or the other. There's a spectrum. You know what the most blunt methodology there is? I'm going to look, I'm going to open up the app and go, I think this guy's going to do well. And you play that. Yep. That still is a blunt methodology. It's just that you're just going by, oh, I don't think this guy should be only 5,800. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to play him. Cause he's, I think he's going to do well. Like that's still, that's, that's the most blunt methodology. Right. But it's still a blunt methodology. The most precise methodology is a time machine, mm -hmm. right? To take your time machine, go forward to, to Sunday slate or tonight's Monday play, and then look at the box score, right? And then build that lineup or look at the ownership. Like maybe you don't oh, go take your time machine to 821 PM before the first play and then download the entire CSV with all the, the lineups that are in the contest. And now use that to simulate your, now, you know, exactly the lineups that are going to be there. You could see like, that's the most precise. So you have to come, you're not going to be able to do that, but you could come closest to that. But the only way to do it, the closest to that would be some amount of computer programming work. We could do it a little bit more bluntly by like, when I'm mentioning stuff like you know, how much does this correlation, you know, the different, how much projection does this correlation add? Well, if you do it precisely, you'll get like, like all of, once you add Geno Smith, Lockett and Metcalf together, like the range of outcomes moves at a delta of 2.2% or something like that, which ends up being around like, like a total of like three and a half points of mean project. Like of if you counted it as part of the mean projection. Like if you did a precise, I, I'm coming up with just, I'm fake numbers. These are, these are totally fake numbers. My fake numbers that I just came out with right now 
are probably very close to the real ones, right? So am I going to, uh, am I going to do all of that work, right? Probably take me years to figure out and then manage and whatever. So when I say three and a half and it's like, well, I, the actual is 3.62. Like I'm, I'm close enough. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. Right. But how do I get to those? It's like ballpark eyeball. I mean, like, like, Oh, well, what is the guy's 62nd percentile outcome? It's like, well, I'll just look. I mean, I, I mean, here, here's, here's the, here, Ramondre Stevenson floor five, five ceiling 20. Okay. I, I mean, these numbers don't matter. Cause I, this is the aggregate and these just, let's just say that these were the real numbers. If the if the flo- like because obviously this no yeah I I gotta I gotta switch this yeah because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense that the that the median and the, yeah now right. now here we go there here's the go. RG projections for Ramondre floor eleven point eight nine ceiling twenty eight point eight these are these are all, these are like twenty fifth and seventy fifth percentiles okay so if you tell me it's like well what's his what's his sixty second percentile outcome I'd go I don't know twenty three Yep. Like I could, I could obviously put this into a, into a, there's a formula for this. I mean, if you knew these two percentiles and you knew, and you knew that this was a median, which it's not, this is actually the mean projection. So it's not the median. Like you'd be able to figure that out, but like I could just eyeball and go uh, 23. That sounds good. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Right. (laughs) Right. um... What's what's his 80th percentile outcome? I'm guessing like 31. Something like that. If if the ceiling is 75th percentile, because obviously it goes up exponentially from there, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. the way a normal distribution works. So it's like, so these answers, these questions of like, like, don't worry about yes, no, exact thing, because you're not going to, that's not going to matter. I I had someone uh, DM me uh, yesterday about uh, how many, how many low percentage players in your lineup need to go off before you consider switching the rest of your lineup to chalk? I'm like, there's no answer to that question. Like that, that like, like it depends on the lineup and it depends on the contest, right? Like, like there's nothing. How many? I don't. There is such a, there's such a level eventually when you get there, right? With these kind of questions, there's such a level of, it's just kind of, you just know. Like after after a decade of playing, no, 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 no. That we don't know the exact number, right? You don't. But in a situation like that, (laughs) if you've been playing for a decade, like you just kind of look at your lineup and no, but that's not the. I I don't want to put it that way. What you have to do is weigh multiple variables. Oh, if you want to do like this precise measurement of like, I'm not even saying precise. I'm just saying like, let's say for instance, James, you Mm -hmm. were, you were, let's say going into the late games. Yeah. Okay. You had one, you had one player left in your line. You had Stefan Diggs left in your lineup. Okay. You had, had, I don't know. Let's who else was available at that time. Right. At that price range or something like that. Travis Maybe you Kelsey. don't have Stefan Diggs. Who is a chalk? Let's say you you have uh you've how many other people were playing? So like it's hard to yeah. Let's say what you had one guy left in your lineup. Like whatever it was. Uh, let's say you had De- Devin. Okay, it was the utility spot, and you had Devin Singletary in your lineup. Word. Okay, and let's say you're in twentieth place in the in the in the milli. 
Okay. Everyone above you, everyone above you has zero PMR. And you're 22 points to the to the to the win to win. Yeah. Okay. In that scenario, your last spot is Devin Singletary, but Kenneth Walker projects higher than him. And also Kenneth Walker is own that you look behind you and you see people with Kenneth. They have one spot left in their lineup too. And they only have 5,400 in that spot. Yeah, they and you can't know, have Devin Singletary. They right. can't have Devin Singletary. And, but they have Kenneth Walker or Daryl Henderson in their lineup. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you do? You're in 20th place. You're 22 behind points behind first in the Millie. Like, what in general, what should you be doing when you're ahead of other people and uh don't need any more leverage? Block him, baby. Right. Or block not him. even block him. It's not just blocking, it's also I want to put the highest projected guy in my lineup anyway. Yep. Right? Because you have no one to beat. Let's say, here's James. Let's change the situation. Let's say you have uh you're you're in twentieth place mm-hmm. again. There are uh, there is there are two people ahead. There's two people ahead of you mm-hmm. that have fifty nine hundred left in the utility spot. Yeah. Okay. And you have fifty. And you have fifty nine hundred. You're still twenty two points behind yeah. first place. But now there's two people ahead of me that can also have Devin Singletary. Right. They could also have Devin Singletary. They could also have uh, possibly have Tyler Lockett in their utility as well. Oh, man. Right. Okay. Uh, And then there are people behind you that have 5,400 or 5,100 or 5,600 left remaining, which means they have Lockett or they have Walker or they have. Now, what do you do? It no, James. The 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 thing is, I wanted you to pause for a second because there's no correct answer there, right? Can Can I be honest with you? What? I didn't pause because I was thinking about that. I I paused because you said Lockett, and then you said Walker, and then in my head I said Pop Lock and Walker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the the point being is that okay, now you have to consider the two people in front of you, mm-hmm. and also you have to consider how much. How much are you looking to risk to win the most? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you wanted to play it safe, you'd probably switch to lo- the highest owned players, probably yeah. Lockett. Yeah. And now, if Lockett does well, like, you pr- you may come in third place. You probably don't come in first, right, with Lockett. Now, if you keep on Singletary, and you know the guys above you probably have Lockett, Mm-hmm. Right, because Singletary is the least owned player, and the guys behind you probably don't have Singletary. It gives you the most. You still need twenty-two points. It's not like we're talking about you need seven points. You need, you still need a big, a pretty big game from Singletary. Like Singletary may give you the best shot at winning, but if Singletary has six points and all these other guys have twentieth, like are twenty, but like you're not going to come in twentieth for like like three thousand, four thousand dollars or something, which yeah. may be a lot to you. You're going to play in like fiftieth. Not not fiftieth, dude. These guys are owned. You're gonna come in. And you're gonna get like three x on your money. You're gonna come in like five hundred and 
something. I mean, oh yeah, so well, it, get a pass. assume assuming that Lockett and Walker beat out Singletary, but right. yeah, right. But that's the but. So which one is the correct? There's no correct one because now now we'll start adding one. I give you simple examples. Okay, you're in you're in twentieth uh, place. There are seven people above you. Some having fifty eight hundred, some having fifty four, and some having fifty one. Right. So you know that there's Walker Lockett, Benj- one guy at 46, 46 with Eno Benjamin up there, and you don't have Eno Benjamin in your lineup. Right, because you we, we're making the. Let's say you also okay. Let's put that you also have Eno Benjamin and Devin Singletary in your lineup, and then you look behind you. There's a guy that has three spots empty, and one of them is a defense. Okay, we could start adding. All I was going to say stuff. you. We we can just go on and on here on on this example, but the the fact of the matter is there's not there's not an exact answer. There there's no way to just now. You have to weigh all of that stuff. You have to look at who's above you. Look at behind you. So there's no like, oh, if I have a five, if I have two five percent owned players from the early games that quote go off, no number, no nothing, just go off. Should I just be switching the chart? Like that, there's no, you're you're disregarding like fifteen other variables that you need to be thinking about than just that one answer. And that's what I mean by magic answers of, like, given that context, there's no. There's no correct answer. And then if you gave me the context, I'd probably have to ask you 15 questions about about the context. And then I would say, well, the precise way to do this would be to simulate everything out 10,000 times using what we currently know and then co- compare the ROI and standard deviation differences and then make your determination on which is the highest risk, highest reward for the least risk. Or you could try to do that yourself in a blunt way by just kind of ballparking and looking and going what do i feel more important do i want to take a shot at first or do i want to right there have been plenty of times that i've i've been in situations like that where i look and i go i think my shot at first is very minimal Mm -hmm. but i think my shot at a top five finish is very good and i go i'm gonna forego the shot at first to have a much outsized probability of coming in like fourth place Rather than take my minimal shot at first and then possibly come in in 108th place. Right. Right. Like, who can answer that question? Only you can. But some people are like, well, if it's the milli, it's more worth it to do. Right. But if it was a flatter payout structure, let's say it was the slant and it's 20,000 a first and 15,000 a second, it'd be like, dude, I'll just maximize my shot for second place if that's so much more outsized and try to beat the guy in first that is 32 points above me, you know, like that. Type say, if, if you need 35 points to take first, or if you just need 22 points to take second, right. Like you, you go for the one that, that is the high it's, it's ROI versus risk. That That's all. Right. It's, just, it's just cost benefit analysis. Right. But with all the other variables mixed in of all your opponents lineups, especially on yesterday's slate, where probably half of everyone else's lineups are, there's probably a lineup with a full-on game stack that's like 130 points below you that could easily destroy <laughs> you, and you don't even know about it, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like, so now you have to take those into account. Like, dude, you're not going to be able to do this in a matter of, like, five minutes before before 405 comes. And if you are able to do this in a matter of five minutes before 405 comes, then you are so technologically advanced that you shouldn't be playing DFS. Well, or you're, you're so, you're so technically advanced that you probably wouldn't be asking these questions. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you're already making a lot of money doing it. 
Um, I, I did just want to answer one question really quick from Trevor Lewis earlier. Okay. Um, he said, I just started playing DFS this season. Do I think the season as a whole is an outlier so far compared to previous season? Don't know if I'm unlucky or just bad. Um, it's really hard to tell. I, I, like, so if you, NFL season, GP, if you play GPPs and you lost money over a course of six weeks, like, welcome. Welcome to DFS. Yeah, I, well, I was I mean, going to say, like, six slate, dude. That that's that's uh, not even a week of baseball. A week we're we're going to get we get into NBA season tomorrow. All right, so this this is your first season playing DFS, and welcome to the degeneracy. We love you. Welcome home. Um, six weeks of NFL is nothing. Like you, you could feasibly. This is not an exaggeration. Lose every single week in GPPs in an NFL season, and it's just like. That's life. And, and be the best player in the world. Yeah, and, and be literally the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in, in NBA, in daily sports, like NBA and MLB, uh, you could go a full month without cashing a single lineup. And life's hard. That, that's just the way that it goes. Um, cold swings and hot swings uh, are, a, are a feature, not a bug, of the system. And um, it's really, really hard to tell if you're doing well or doing badly. There are there are ways to assess your play based on um, finishing positions in GPPs and analyzing your lineups against the best players in the world and stuff like that. Like if you if you have bought the theory of DFS, which Jordan has up on the screen here, then we go over a lot of uh, a lot of ways to assess your own play and to to do self assessments and see if you're playing well or badly. But um, but one of the things that you need, James, in order to do that is a large sample size. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of the thing is you just might be running bad. You don't know um, that the best thing to do is just play the best way that you can. And then after the season, um, look back and, and see how often you were on plays that good players were also playing and hope to uh, hope to run better next year. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Here's, here's a, here's a good way of putting it. If, if, if you know, math, because, uh, because uh, Nelson, Adcock mm-hmm. have done has has done the these types of sims. Oh, I love those sims. Those are cool. Right. And he's done he's done ones for like golf. Yeah. So golf has typically has like 50 slates a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So consider that to be like three football seasons, right? Something like that. Two football seasons. Two. Yeah. Uh that how many seasons of golf? Sit years. How many years of golf? If you were in GPP, right? In GPP, if you were a 15 to 20% ROI player, which, which is would be considered pretty good, right? Yeah. Let's say 20, 15%, 20% ROI player in GPP. How many, uh, how many seasons, how many years? I mean, he said seasons, but how many years would it take? For you to have uh, less than 50%, like this is assuming that you're playing like 10% of your bankroll a slate, right? Right, which is fairly aggressive, but yeah, whatever. But, but if you knew you had a 20% ROI, you wouldn't mind doing it. But I mean, right, it's right. it's high, very high variance. Uh, how, many, how many seasons, how many years would it take for your chance of going broke or near broke to be outside of one standard deviation which means makes it makes it more unlikely than not yeah how many how many no you tell me how many years 
Go for it. Okay. I believe that he posted it at some point. It was somewhere in the hundreds. Okay. Which means that if it's somewhere, in, let's say, let's say it was three, you could play 300 years of golf DFS, which would be like 600, 600 NFL seasons. And your chances of going broke playing GPPs as a 20% ROI player is still not, is still, is that's when it gets outside of one standard deviation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's why I, those, if you simulate it, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, and that's why I've, I've, I've said it, it sounds, it sounds absurd. It sounds absurd, but there's no human being. If you would have played, now I'm talking about GPP. I'm not talking about cash games. I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about purely GPPs, no matter what type, single entry, multi-entry, doesn't matter. If you were to play every single GPP and maxed out everything in every contest for every sport ever existing on DraftKings and FanDuel, like literally you're playing the, the, the two game turbo Monday afternoon, uh, NHL, whatever, like it doesn't matter if you would have maxed out on GPP, every contest since the existence of DFS, your ROI that you currently have still would not be within one standard deviation of of the the normalized adjusted. Like 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 your ROI could be one full standard deviation off than what it. So you could have a minus twenty percent ROI and be the best player in the world. Yeah, even no after a sample size of every single DFS contest ever existing right so put that into perspective of like how large of a sample size you need especially for the largest field gpps and then you're going well am i good in six slates and going dude there are people that have played sixty thousand slates and it's quite possible that one two people could play sixty thousand slates one of them is known as the best player in the world and like he's number one on the Roto Grinders rankings or whatever. The other player played exactly the same EV lineups and now works at a gas station because he broke he's broke. No. Like and the same exact EV and they say literally the same exact EV lineups. Obviously the different line, I mean, but it's from an expected value standpoint. So once you put those things into perspective. Well, I didn't do well in six weeks of NFL is like, is, is I'm not, I mean, this is what people think of. That's why, that's why we teach in this way. So I've played for set, like, right. It's my seven year anniversary today, right. Or uh, two days ago, whatever. I started October 15th, 2015. I've played for seven years. Still, I'm still not 100% sure that I'm a good player. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, st- I still, I still, I, Dude, outside of a, you know, if take away some of those 50 to 100K binks, I'd be sitting here going, I wish, when is it ever going to happen? I mean, like right. it's supposed to, but when is it going to happen? And then there are certain people that, like, they've been playing for a year seriously and have binked like 100 to 500K like four times. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly, and then they could go five years without anything. Yep. Like at all at playing the same exact way. Like that distribution could be who knows. And once you plug in the same expected value lineups and the same type of play and the same, everything 
Like it's it's survivorship bias at that point. There are plenty. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, there are plenty of great players from 2017, 2018, that are that are just as just as skillful as the ones that you know today. Mm-hmm. Just that you know the ones that were on the right side of areas early, and these guys either quit or they're still playing low stakes because they haven't gotten on the right side. They haven't built their bankroll enough. Like that's 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 the difference like that's welcome to dfs and that's tough to, and that's tough to acknowledge you you have to admit that for most people that don't think mathematically or probabilistically james that it's like well what can i do to be better it's like there's not this variance you can't control the worst thing to do is just go based on one week's results i'm bad i got to play completely differently right and another worst thing to do is like I've been losing my I've been losing fifty percent of my money every year for five years, and I shouldn't. And I'm just waiting. It's like that may not be true either. Like maybe you are playing badly, but you have to figure out a way to assess that yourself. Mm-hmm. Even if you bink GPPs, that doesn't mean you're a good player. And even if even if you lost money on a year or two, that doesn't mean you're a bad player. But typically, the extremes based on Occam's razor, you're more than likely. If you're if you're if someone like like uh like like Squall Patrol, John Breslin, it's 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 hard to like bink that many GPPs to and and be bad and be like like and be bad, right? Right. Right. It's like okay, like maybe maybe at the 56th bink, it's like like yep, you're, you're probably good at this game, right. right? Of course he plays high volume, so he needs more binks. And then on the other side, it's it's quite possible that that the guy that's like, I've been playing for three years and I'm minus 82% in our, in GPP. And I've been playing and playing every slate. I'm not talking about like, Oh, every once in a while. It's like, no, I play every NBA slate, every MLB slate, every ending. I, even if you just play single entry and you're like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I have a minus 80% ROI. It's like, you're probably bad. Right. But if you're like, well, I have a minus 15% ROI. It's like that, that is the rake. Right. Pretty much. So it's like, right. You probably aren't bad. I don't know if you're bad or good or you're not good enough or something like that, but there's nothing definitive there to say that you're bad. Right. There's also nothing definitive there to say that you're good. Right. right. And the same thing of like, oh, someone someone wins the Millie Maker. And then you go, oh, they're a great player. It's like, no, they could be a horrible player. Oh, yeah. Like, dude, there are there are literally people that have won the Millie Maker that are down like them. Mm-hmm. There are tons of them. Okay. So, like, that doesn't mean anything either. So assessing your play is is important, but no, don't get to this extent of like, am I doing something wrong if I didn't win in six slates? Like, and then you go, well, how about 16 slates? And I go, come back to me when you have 16,000 slates. And you go, come back to you in 37 years? I go, I'm not saying for you to come back to me. I'm just trying to make you aware of how large the sample size really need to be for you to be 100% definitive on if you play well or bad. I'm, I'm not telling you to come back to me. I'm telling you to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I tell someone, don't come back to me when at 37 years from now, and I'll let you know if you're good or bad. Like what if they come much, back? What if they come back? back? <laughs> what if they come back? What if they come back and tell you, uh, now I am negative 2%. Then, then, nice entertainment you have a nice right you're probably you've had a good life you've had a good life right james paydirt underscore dfs on twitter yep 
Pater underscore DFS on Twitter and uh, PaterDFS.com over uh, for all of my stuff, uh, including free showdown articles and um, a lot of other free cool stuff that you can find. So, um, yeah. Theory Daily Fantasy Sports, how to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players, available theoryofdfs.com, 10 chapters of audio, all these uh, Excel tools that uh, James is happy to help you with. And uh, programming note, no show tomorrow. You will not see a thumbnail. No show Wednesday. You'll not see a thumbnail. Thursday, we'll be back and probably talking about the first NBA slate. So we'll be back in NBA. Finally, got something to, something to talk about. And people will ask questions at 11 o'clock in the morning about who to play. And then there'll be 14 questionable tags. And why even bother talking? Why even build, bother building lineups eight hours in advance? We'll be doing that. So don't worry about it. So you can find me on Twitter at BlenderHD. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the thummy thumbs. You know I like to like, to subscribe. The subscribe scribes, the notification bells. Just hit anything on your screen. It's perfectly fine. Beat yourself in the face. Come back Come back in 37 years and hit the like button if you want. It'll probably count for some reason. Uh, and uh, and I'll, I'll see you back on Thursday answering your DFS strategy questions like I, I try to do as much. I try to, try to do as much as I can, honestly. Give the blunt, honest answers here on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.